Welcome to a very special 86th episode of The Goods, a film podcast. Welcome. And special for a lot of reasons. That's because, well, one of the reasons, it's Dan's birthday. It's my birthday episode. We celebrate birthdays in style here on The Goods. That's one thing that I've learned from Brian over the years is that, you know, some people might see it as self-indulgent to celebrate one's own birthday, but how often... Do you get a chance to go out there and say, let's make it about me, everyone? And people can't say no. I yeah. mean, it's If you a, don't do it, who else will? Exactly. So we've tried to do special things for each birthday. And uh, this week I had trouble trying to decide what to bring on to the pod. In the past, well, I say in the past, I've only had one birthday that we've recorded on. But I wanted to bring something that kind of reflected... A particular interest of mine and um, that was animated movies particularly from you know the late 90s early 2000s early 2010s etc when I was really watching movies and I brought the Iron Giant this year I was thinking about bringing kind of coming-of-age film which for a few years was a really big fad of mine I was watching every single one I could find but I kind of felt like I had worn that topic out with Young Adult Month. So I decided instead, I'm just going to bring a movie I know I really like that feels in season. And it does kind of hit a subgenre of movies, a sub-subgenre, if you will, that I really like, which is the Judd Apatow-esque, overgrown man-child, raunchy comedy. So that was Forgetting Sarah Marshall, the Jason Segel written and starring comedy movie, romantic comedy from 2008. And I had some surfing, so it was a good follow-up after Teen Beach. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And I mentioned it as one of my favorite summer movies last week as well. So, uh, you know, just kind of like when we did our top five musical numbers, and one of yours was Chicago, and then you brought Chicago the next week. It's kind of a same pattern there. Um, speaking of that, I had one song from this as a runner-up for my top five favorite songs, and that was Dracula's Lament, the song he sings at a bar here that we're going to talk about. I don't know if you remember me mentioning that. but uh, Yeah, I didn't remember it being honorable mention. I, I know you've talked about it before off podcast. You yeah. wrote a whole blog post in your Top 100 Everything series about Sarah Marshall, and it was prominently featured. That's right. So you had not seen this movie before. Is that right, Brian? Not beyond that clip. Yeah. So the first time I saw this movie was a really special experience. I was in college and my college had a preview screening of it. I literally knew nothing about it except the title. I might have like looked up and saw that it was a comedy, but again, I didn't know the topic. I didn't know the stars. I didn't know that it was like uh, in the vein of the, the Apatow comedies. So I went in blind and I might be the hardest I've ever laughed in a movie theater. And it also just really resonated with me. I, I liked what it did with the, the character beats and all that. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about it now. So ever since then, it's been a favorite of mine. I want to look something up here real quick, Brian and listeners. So I've mentioned a few times on the pod that I've been rewatching a list of my 100 favorite movies I made back in 2009. So that was really only like a year or two after I had first seen this movie. 
Um, if I made it in late 09, I don't know exactly when this came out, but I put this movie at number nine of all of my favorite movies in my top 10 favorite movies. So this is really one that from the start has been a favorite of mine. So I'm glad that, that we're able, that I was able to share it with you, Brian, and that we're able, that we're here to talk about it. We can see if I still feel as strongly about it as I did in 09. So yeah, and I'm coming in fresh. Any preliminary thoughts before we dive into the film, Brian? Well, happy birthday. Oh, thank you. It's been a good one. And Glad to be here in person again. We haven't said that well, yet. I can't believe I, did. I missed that. That's the other big thing. We're doing it live. We're here in person. I invited Brian over to my new house. It's a nice house. Big house. Obviously. We're down here in the basement, but it's it's big enough and furnished enough that you wouldn't be able to tell at first glance. <laughs> we'll see if the echo picks up in this recording, but... Yeah, I uh, got to invite Brian out to see our new house for the first time, and we got some dinner, and we watched a movie, and now here we are talking about it, so let's dive into it. So, Forgetting Sarah Marshall opens with Peter Britter, who is Jason Siegel, and he's a composer for a sort of CSI spoof show called Crime Scene, Scene of the Crime. And I think it's important to remember, I don't know if this is still true, but certainly around 2008, there was like nine of the top 10 most popular shows on TV were procedurals. And it was a big meme around the time, the dude putting on the glasses in one of the CSI shows. like yeah, CSI. Miami. Yeah, yeah. And so they have Billy Baldwin on here kind of parodying that beat. And it's, it's pretty funny. They have a lot of like ludicrous crimes they make fun of in, the, in this I enjoy that bit of uh, pop cultural parody. So he's the, the he writes what he keeps calling dark, ominous tones, the composer of the score. And the actress is Sarah Marshall of the title. So she is the lead actress played by Kristen Bell, who has endured in the public consciousness, I would say, probably more than just about anyone else in this. Cast. Oh, yeah, she's done very well. And uh, obviously starred in The Good Place. Uh, among f other things, Frozen. Um, but in the in the good place, at one point, she calls herself a smoke show. And <laughs> uh, she's right. Yeah. yeah. This movie is not wanting in uh, beautiful women, I would say. But we see Peter is kind of a homebody. And one day, uh, Sarah is coming home. And Peter's kind of finishing a shower and tidying up that the house. So it's nice when she gets there. And... He walks in right as he's walking out of the shower and uh, he's in the nude and she breaks up with him. So one thing to know about this is, like I said, starring Jason Siegel, but also written by Jason Siegel. He also wrote a bunch of the songs in it. And there's a lot of autobiographical elements in this. So one is that he dated a actress. He dated Linda Cardellini, who is in The Founder. She's Joan. What's the last name? Croc. Yeah. Also in Gravity Falls, she portrayed Wendy. Oh, okay. The main thing I know her from is in Freaks and Geeks. She's the lead with the the green jacket, and she's awesome in that. But, oh, and that's actually where J Jason Segel was in Freaks and Geeks, too. That's actually where they met. So he did date an actress when he was not a very popular actor, and he got dumped in the nude by her as well. So that, that was a bit of... Um, 
autobiography in this story that I, I thought was kind of amusing. Wow. This movie features some male nudity, and we get a full frontal of Jason Siegel here in the opening minutes. Got a big laugh in the when I saw it in theaters. Very <laughs> unexpected. Well, it's like you get a couple quick shots where it's he's like in motion like he stands up off the couch or he turns around and then finally we get some some lingering shots <laughs> yeah one thing i haven't mentioned yet is I, I made brian watch the theatrical cut and so one of my not so very hot takes i would say is that when r-rated comedies were making a big comeback in the mid to late 2000s and early 2010s a couple of trends became really hot. So one was red band trailers. Um, so this had a red band trailer. Do you remember remember seeing those, Brian? That's like the uh, the trailers that are not approved for all audiences. The, oh. the adult oriented trailers. I so don't, normally, I'm not familiar with that. I thought you were talking about those boxes that are outside the WalMarts that oh. drop DVDs. Red box. Red box. No. So a normal trailer is a green band trailer. So that's like when you go to a theater. You see the green screen in front of it that says the trailer is approved for all audiences. But then again, it was a, mostly a marketing gimmick, but they would release band trailers. So <laughs> by making red band, so it would have the MPA sign and say this trailer was not approved for all audiences. And so you would get some R-rated trailers as part of these comedies. Um, another thing that was really popular and you still sometimes see is the DVDs, they would always do the, the unrated cut. And so you'd always get the unrated version. And they like always marketed it as raunchier, filthier, get the stuff they wouldn't let us put in the movie. But my experience is this is almost always just a marketing gimmick in a different way. So basically, like they make it seem that way, but they really just add in back one or two scenes or slightly re-edit a couple of scenes. Sometimes they get in one more naughty joke, but usually it's like scenes that were cut because they weren't quite as essential as the stuff that was there. So the unrated cut to me is just the worst edited cut, in my opinion, for mm -hmm. most movies. And I think that holds true in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I think the unrated cut is a notable step down from the theatrical cut. Um, so I'm glad I got to show Brian the... Uh, the theatrical cut, because normally if you get it on Amazon or wherever or even, you know, find it online, you'll see uh, the unrated cut. If you pop it in or just hit play on your, your streamer or whatever, uh, what's the first point you would know that you were watching the wrong version? So that actually leads nicely. So the male nudity is used in a way that it's like kind of I don't know if symbolic is the right word, but it serves a narrative purpose to like emphasize Peter's vulnerability as well as just being kind of like a wow i can't believe he showed himself naked in front of the camera we're not used to seeing that from dudes especially like dudes with dad bods you know and not very erotic scenarios but in the theatrical cut there's not really any explicit female nudity there is there are of course a few sex scenes but like the the women aren't showing all that much skin and so one thing i like about the theatrical cut is is that exact kind of juxtaposition of from what you expect but in the unrated cut, they actually do have one of the sex scenes is longer and it has some explicit female nudity. And that's going to come up here in a minute when he's having rebound one night stands. 
And that would be the moment that I could tell you for sure it was one way or the other. I there, see. there might be one or two jokes before that where I would hear it and say, oh, they ended this scene shorter, so it must be the theatrical cut. That's another thing I noticed is sometimes they ended scenes short. Um, but like I said, usually for the worst, usually like dragging out a scene that didn't need to be dragged out. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, I think it's pretty common to, to see these R-rated comedies, and the only thing you can find streaming or on dvd is typically the the unrated version so i feel like horror movies were doing the same thing at the same time the unrated uncut saw dvds from like 2004 to you know 2010 or whatever have you ever done a compare and contrast on one of those horror ones is it like the same thing where they're not really adding that much it's more marketing I, I haven't gimmick? dug into it too much uh, according to the buzzed on movies host you see more intestines in uh the, the uncut saw one. Gotcha. When she goes in to like get the key that's inside the guy. Gotcha. But, uh, let's go back to back to the <laughs> beach. So during this breakup at first, uh, Sarah Marshall, so that's Kristen Bell, she says that there's not anyone else. That's not why she's breaking up with him. But then she says there's someone else and she kind of storms out. Oh, what a gut punch. Yeah, seriously. And then we kind of smash cut to... Peter at a bar trying to recover and he's there with his stepbrother Brian who is played by Bill Hader and we see him kind of here have a series of fairly unfulfilling one night stands with Bill Hader kind of being the constant person talking him through his breakup and Bill Hader gets some funny moments in here too. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes you hear him over the phone and he's just yelling yeah. in the background. This is a bad idea. Stop. <laughs> ah. Yeah. I think of him as the fear emotion from inside out. But uh, I, I recently saw a clip that he was in super bad. For instance, what else has Bill Hader done? I'm sure he's all oh, over the place. Yeah. I mean, he was he had like bit roles in just about everything. Yeah. And um, man, what else did he star in? I don't know. Yeah. Super bad is probably where I first got to know him. And he is so funny and super bad. He plays one of the cops along with Seth Rogen. That he co-starred in a more serious movie with I think it was Kristen Wiig uh, called The Skeleton Twins that I've always been intrigued by. Uh, that I might pick for the pod as a blind pick someday. So we'll see. But anyways, uh, still missing Sarah and kind of now in a, a funk, um, Peter has a meltdown at work and he kind of shuts himself in his room. And at the encouragement of, of Brian, of Bill Hader, he decides to go on a trip. And the place he decides to go is Hawaii, uh, which is a vacation that Sarah and he had talked about taking at some point. So, Brian, you said you've never been to Hawaii, right? That's right, but it sounds like you have. Yeah, so I went there for my honeymoon, actually. That was back in 2012. And so one one fun fact about this movie, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, is it takes place at a real resort. And uh, while we were in Hawaii, Katie and I, uh, let me put it this way, I encourage Katie that we should drive out to this resort and even if you know, we just pop in and pop out so I can say I went there, which is basically what we did. But we walked out to the beach for a few minutes. So it was kind of cool. I got to go to the resort where this movie was filmed. Yeah, it was funny when we were watching. Dan's like, oh, that's a real resort. I walked by it. <laughs> like, oh, OK. Hey, man, I'll take what I could get. Yeah, know? no, I understand. 
I stayed at my first resort type hotel this past year. I visited um, Key West in Florida, and for whatever reason, it was only the higher end stuff that was popping up in my like uh, Travelocity hotel booking app. They had a robe in the closet, like oh, a custom wow. hotel robe, like in the cartoons. I think I remember that from your. Wasn't that in your Gauntlet episode? I did. I documented it. Yeah. So, yeah, when you get the chance, go for it. This is probably a nicer resort on on Hawaii yeah. than the one I was at. Yeah, so it's called Turtle Bay, and I I guess the the idea is he just flew out there with really no plans, and he walks up to the front desk, and he says, uh, "Just take whatever you have," and the only thing they have is a six thousand dollar a night suite, and so it looks like he's maybe not going to be able to stay there. But things get awkward because he discovers that Sarah is also there, and in fact she is staying with her new beau, her new boyfriend. Aldous Snow, played by Russell Brand, and he's sort of this kind of worldly Bono-esque rock star with tattoos who's like a recovered drug addict and alcoholic. And yeah, they're, they're at the resort too, so this is immediately very awkward. So Brian, have you ever seen Russell Brand in anything else? I just remember this moment in time when he was like really big. Yeah. And, I mean, he was with Katy Perry at one point. I remember the trailers for Get Him to the Greek. I'm trying to remember what I actually saw that he was in, though. Maybe it'll come to me. I'll say I had an opinion of Russell Brand as being, like, obnoxious. But he really grows on me over the course of this movie. I thought he was really funny. Yeah. Yeah, he's he is. This is an absolutely terrific performance by him. Very, very funny. It totally inhabits this douchebag vibe. And I think as time has passed, we realize that maybe he just wasn't acting all that much. <laughs> that's why he was able to pull it off so well. The the kind of obnoxious rock star. But you mentioned Get Him to the Greek. Did you know that that's a spinoff of Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Is it? Yeah, he's playing the same character. Really? Yeah, and it co-stars... Is Jonah Hill also in that Yes. One? Yeah. But here's the weird thing that has always bothered me. Jonah Hill is the co-star... And they have a lot of interaction. But he's in not playing Sam Marshall. the same character. But he's a different character. <laughs> but Russell Brand's the same character. It's like, they were like, all right, we like this dynamic. I don't know why a waiter in Hawaii would continue to be hanging around a rock star. So we're going to write him as a totally different character. That's really strange. Yeah. Um, but that's a movie I need to revisit. I saw it once or twice because, you know, I was obviously... You know what so the movie I saw was with Russell Brand? It was Bedtime Stories with Adam Sandler. Oh, he was in that. Interesting. I don't remember what his role was, but he's definitely in it. So this woman at the front desk is named Rachel, and she's played by Myla Kunis. Is it... It's Kunis or Kunis? Kunis. Uh, yeah, I think it's Kunis. Kunis, I think, yeah. From Family Guy. Yeah, well, in that 70s show. <laughs> so she voices, is it Meg in Family mm -hmm. Guy? And then she plays Ashton Kutcher's girlfriend in that 70s show, and then they actually dated, and then they broke up, and then they started dating again, and now they're married. Anyways, she takes some sympathy on this very awkward situation for Peter and offers to let him save some face, I suppose, and kind of squat in that uh, resort on the, the upper floor, which is very generous. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> I don't know if someone who works at the front desk has the authority to do that. Uh -huh. but it seems like people would have questions. It, it at least gets us to the point in the story where everybody's kind of in one enclosed space. So it kind of works. 
So then we kind of hit what I would say is the promise of the premise where Peter is simultaneously enjoying this resort to try and get over Sarah while also constantly bumping into her just about everywhere else he goes. And the movie really populates the resort with a wide variety of entertaining guests and workers. A lot of fun faces here. So we we do have Jonah Hill here. He's like, a, he's a waiter and he is like really obsessed with Aldous Snow, the Russell Brand character and constantly up in his business and like tending to him in a very uh, overly affectionate way. He's like Stan in the Eminem music video. Yeah, yeah. Definitely like uh, crossing some boundaries there. Yeah, like but a stalker fan. Yeah. It's funny though. They have good chemistry. Um, so one thing in the extended cut that's not in the original that I actually am kind of glad they don't have in the theatrical, but I can see why some people might like this beat. But um, at the very end, Jonah Hill loses his patience and like snaps back at Aldous Snow. But I like it more where it's just like this constant unrequited thing where Jonah Hill is just always in Russell Brand's face. We have Jack McBrayer from 30 Rock. And Wreck-It Ralph. And yeah. And he, he's a sexually frustrated Christian newlywed who is having trouble in bed with his new wife. But he keeps popping up and he gets to humiliate himself a few times. I feel like Jack McBrayer has like one character, but I always laugh at it. <laughs> He's always a hayseed. A lot of friendly Hawaiians, like there's a a cook guy who you seem to recognize, but maybe we didn't actually recognize. No, I was I was wrong. Okay. I was just confusing one Polynesian actor for another. <laughs> Embarrassingly, I thought he was the dad from Moana. They do have very similar faces, but the guy in this movie is, is much larger than that. And there's a bartender guy. These various hotel workers are almost like a Greek chorus of sorts. Like they're constantly commenting on all of the other guests and the relationship drama going on. So it's kind of fun hearing them banter. Yeah, they did a good job continuing to check in on the various characters. Right. There's this Japanese family. There's this tourist's who are maybe playing a slight stereotype, but it was one that I had seen, certainly in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. So one thing about Hawaii is it does get a lot of Asian tourists visiting Hawaii. And in this movie, just like my experience when, when I was in Hawaii, they're constantly taking pictures of like mundane things that's part of the trip and always just like showing up in bars, even though they don't understand the language very well and stuff. And so that that felt honest and funny to me. But I think the best kind of cameo uh, minor role here is Paul Rudd as a surfing instructor who is total burnout. And he has some of the funniest lines and, and monologues in the movie. Yeah, he got me over and over. Uh, <laughs> he's just like oblivious to certain things. Like he'll repeat himself. And, uh, you know, Jason Siegel walks up. He's like, oh, my heart's broken into a million pieces. And Parrot says, oh, I'll know it'll fix that. Weed. <laughs> you got any? He says, no. Oh, well, let's go surfing. <laughs> Those are like his two panaceas. Yeah. And he says, you look like you got some pain behind those eyes. And Jason Siegel says, 
yeah, man, I do. And it's like this moment of connection. And then like 20 minutes later, they bump into each other and Paul Rudd looks at him and says, you look like you got some pain behind those eyes. <laughs> Just the delivery is so good. Yeah, and uh, eventually uh, Siegel calls him out on it. He's like, uh, I saw you earlier today. We shared a long conversation. <laughs> Paul Rudd says, all right. Like, yeah, cool. Yeah. He gets some funny one-liners. He sings, the weather outside is weather, which I thought was funny. And uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Uh, oh, yeah, there's a moment later on where there's like a surfing crash and somebody's bleeding. It's actually Russell Brand's character. And like as things are getting real nasty, he kind of walks up totally oblivious and says, you sound like you're from London. Just like in <laughs> That was another one. Uh, but I think maybe my favorite line of his is when he he's trying to teach Jason Siegel how to surf and his instructions are just do less. No, do nothing. You're doing too much. But then he does nothing. He's like, well, you got to do more than that. And <laughs> I think about that line all the time. Do less. So that that uh, Milo Kunis character, the Rachel, who's the front desk and kind of like a, I don't know what you call it, concierge or something like helping people find restaurants and things. And Peter uh, has some nice interactions with her. turns out he's got a little bit of chemistry with her and eventually asks her out on some casual dates where they have some good heart to heart conversations. So it turns out that Rachel is a college dropout who followed a boy to Hawaii only for him to cheat on her almost immediately and she still has like this major hang up about it. And he shows up at one point, the guy who cheated on her, and there's like a whole blow up. So that's very clearly a touchy issue for her. And then we also learn when Peter's kind of spilling his guts that he kind of hates his job on the TV show. And his dream is it's maybe my favorite detail in the movie. His dream is to write a puppet rock opera about Dracula. And he, this is the kind of thing you can put in the movie when you're the writer. And exactly. The star. And Jason Siegel really does like puppets. Um, <laughs> and we get to hear him perform a couple of songs from the Dracula musical. But the most memorable one is at this bar, this song called Dracula's Lament, where he, he plays it on the piano and he sings in kind of like an exaggerated Transylvanian accent. It's getting kind of hard to believe things are going to get better. And it's very funny and kind of cringy, but also like just a phenomenal song. And at the moment, he's like talking about the theme of true love. And he sings about how, uh, I don't know, like how he will. I don't know who's he in love with. Which character would it be? Uh, I mean, maybe it's um, what's the Nina name? Nina Harker or yeah. something. Uh Hard to say. But it has this moment of tenderness late in the song where it seems to be the turning point for Milo Kunis that maybe uh, there's a little bit more depth to this Peter guy. Um. <laughs> well, when the movie starts out, he pours an entire box of Fruit Loops into like a, a huge metal bowl for like popcorn. <laughs> and, and he's just sitting there with a spoon eating an entire box worth of Fruit Loops. So that's who this character is. Yeah. He's getting quote-unquote depth now yeah and also like by the way i mean he's a tall flabby dude who's i mean you know jason siegel's not a bad looking guy but he's not a stud here mm -hmm. and 
he opens the movie with, you know, like 27 year old Kristen Bell. And then he ends up with 27 year old Mila Kunis here. And he also just so happens to be the one who wrote this movie for mm-hmm. himself. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, again, that's like the Woody Allen trick, you know, cast yourself opposite the beautiful women and let, let them be the romantic interests. So perhaps some male fantasy in that regard, but that's all right. I mean, there's certainly a non-zero reason about why I like this movie. Hmm. Things start to turn over the next couple days in story. Sarah becomes jealous of kind of this blossoming thing between Peter and Rachel. And then there's this really awkward, intense double date sort of dinner with Peter and Rachel and then also Aldous and Sarah. And this is kind of where things come to a head. Um, There's this great runner here where... Aldous wears this ugly shirt that Sarah picked for him that he really doesn't like. This is when Russell Brand really won me over. This was like a classic bit of comedy. Like, I could see this in, like, something in the the 40s or something. Just the way it keeps coming back to this shirt and the payoff of of him not liking it and trying to get out of it. Uh, Because Sarah has, like, a flashback to her relationship with Peter, the Jason Segel character, that... He would always put up with whatever she made him wear, like bucket hats and just all kinds of goofy things. And he never complained audibly. Um, And so then, yeah, then the next thing is she's got Russell Brand in this shirt. And (laughs) Russell Brand's like, now I have nothing against Mr. Tommy Bahama, but and I I don't know. It just kept coming back and it kept being funny every time. Oh, yeah. And then. When they sit down to the awkward double date, the couples are talking about why this is going to be really awkward. And and uh, Russell Brand says, now they're going to have to see me in this shirt. You've gotten me into a terrible predicament. <laughs> they're going to have to see me in the shirt. And I mean, just the accent makes everything funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you mentioned the flashbacks. I really like the use of flashbacks in this movie because it does a good job of kind of following through on the emotional through line of the film about how these characters kind of see, well, particularly the two characters who get flashbacks are uh, Jason Siegel's Peter and Sarah Marshall, but played by uh, Kristen Bell, kind of looking back on their relationship in different lights. And it starts with Peter only having flashbacks of the times that were really good with Sarah. And then gradually he kind of has more, uh, bittersweet and moments where he didn't connect with Sarah, like where she did not understand the Dracula musical. Yeah, she doesn't appreciate puppets. <laughs> and Sarah, meanwhile, starts with not thinking too much of Peter and then gradually starts having more fond flashbacks of him. At some point, Peter learns from Aldous when they're they're kind of out floating on the, the water and Peter is trying to surf that Sarah actually had been cheating on Peter for a year prior to the actual breakup. So that's another gut punch for Peter. It wasn't just a breakup then, but it had something that had been going on for a long time. So eventually, uh, Sarah and Aldous get into a really big fight where I enjoy that uh, Kristen Bell gets to mock Russell Brand by doing a fake British accent. And she says, bo-sheet, bo-sheet, bo-sheet. And it's very adorable and kind of funny and they break up and then so now sarah's obviously very sad and she she calls on uh peter well i guess peter comes to go and comfort her 
and Sarah tries to start getting back together with Peter. And Peter obviously has pretty mixed feelings about this at this point, because the whole movie is forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah, I was not expecting this. Maybe I should have been. I guess it's not a complete trailblazing move in uh, romantic comedy to have the feelings go back and forth. But I was not expecting Sarah to try to come back into this. Yeah, and it happens pretty gradually. It's, It's pretty well written. Eventually he relents and they start hooking up, but he cuts off their encounter mid-sex act because he's having trouble getting hard during the build-up to the sex. And this is one moment that never quite clicked for me here because this is, I think, the last time we see her other than in some of these fake clips. But Peter, who has otherwise been like a pretty generous fellow, gets really, really mad at Sarah and calls her the goddamn devil and storms out on her. Just kind of a slightly nastier note. Yeah, it uh, feels unearned. Yeah. It's like she didn't deserve that. It wasn't cathartic. And like the movie had actually done a good job of not making her like the the horrible person, like really helping us understand why it might have been kind of challenging to have Peter, the guy who's sitting on the couch and eating the full bowl of cereal. And now I have the freshest cereal, he says, when he's thinking about <laughs> the way that... Uh, Sarah got her a cereal container one time. Yeah, she improved his life by keeping (laughs) his cereal fresh. Uh, I'd say it does a good job of humanizing all the central four characters. Like, even Russell Brand, he came across more positively than I thought he might. I mean, he's he's still a philanderer. He's like, look at that limo driver who's picking me up to go to the airport. I'm going to have sex with her. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I, I just thought he was good-natured in some ways yeah he's repeatedly really nice to peter right and that always makes him kind of charming he talks about how he likes peter's music and how he whenever he sees him he's like oh hey mate and gives him like a high five and a hug Mm -hmm. which never stops being funny and charming i thought so peter of course ever the honest nice guy admits to rachel that he started to hook up with sarah his ex but kind of cut it off. But remember Rachel, and this kind of is a little abrupt too, but not like really developed the the way that some of the other emotional beats are. But we know that Rachel um, is still kind of scarred from a guy cheating on her. And she very abruptly, despite things having been going very well, is like, you must leave and you must never talk to me again. I never want to hear from you. Also bear in mind that this is, you know, a week trip that they've been like, you know, interacting for like three days at this point. Right. Yeah. So it, it felt a little harsh. Yeah. It's like they would, their relationship wasn't quite at the point where it's like, is this even cheating at this yeah, point? Yeah, I know. It's like <clears throat> they've been on, you know, three dates because it's been three days, which, you know, things are going well, but it's like, yeah, that's quick. But Peter honors this request. He flies back to L.A. and we get this little montage scene where we find him in a really deep depression. Lots of good musical asides. There's one point where he drunkenly and sadly sings the theme to the Muppet Show. Yeah, when he's heartbroken at the start and he's sadly playing the Muppet Show theme. I enjoyed that quite a bit. It's time to play the music. (laughs) It's time to light the lights. He's pounding on the piano. And uh, 
another one during this montage is he writes this song about how Peter, you suck. Peter, you suck. And how he doesn't want to go see a psychologist. <laughs> this like little self-flagellation song that seems improvised. But it's in the credits as Psychiatrist, written by Jason Siegel. Oh, was that in the credits? Yeah. I missed that. That's funny. So obviously some record label owns that, and if you put it up on YouTube, you'd get a copyright <laughs> strike. Eventually, though, Peter starts to bounce back, starts taking care of himself, and he starts writing his Dracula musical. And then we get a sort of flash forward where he is actually doing his Dracula musical. It's... It's debuting, and he has sent an invitation to Rachel, who he hadn't talked to except for those three days, four days or whatever in Hawaii, but now it's time to perform it, and she shows up, and Peter's the star of the, the musical, but also uh, Bill Hader is in there, too. Yeah, he's got a lot of resources behind this thing. Yeah. He got a lot of people involved. Really good production value. I guess it helps if you're already a professional musician mm -hmm. in the, the show business, you know, probably. Um, but it's got like a lot of puppets and singers and there's this stuff where like bats fall down. I would see the hell out of this. <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't do, do it for real in some regard. Yeah, like do a limited run of it or like film it or something. Mm -hmm. You know, I would definitely watch it. Uh, because it keeps growing as it goes along and like you have to wonder what the actual story is because there's like this whole troop of what looks like wizards who come out <laughs> and then there's mummies. <laughs> oh, and a whole bunch of like inflatable flailing tube ghosts. Oh, and like uh, dudes in this ridiculous uh, jumbo head Dracula costumes wandering the, the hallway or the aisles rather. Yeah. But uh, after the musical, Peter kind of reconnects with Rachel and says, I'm glad you came. And she said, you never called. And they agreed to kind of go out on a date. And she's going to be sticking around for a while because she is looking at schools. And so kind of their happy ending and, she, and they agree to meet up later and she leaves and he's just about to call her and she's thinking that maybe she should go see him again and she storms into his room and we get a a reflection a mirror of the movie's opening breakup where when she walks in on him he is once again fully nude and we get a full frontal shot of him again and so again he's in this vulnerable state but uh also there just for the shock value of seeing Jason Siegel nude at the end of the movie. But they they embrace. And so that is their happily ever after. Rachel, Mila Kunis, and Jason Siegel end up together. And we get a few clips of the dumb shows and stuff that, that uh, Sarah Marshall stars in later. It's a animal psychic crime show, I guess, is the last one that we see. Lots of fun fake show type things in this. So I've never seen Veronica Mars before. How mm -hmm. much is it like that show that she's in at the start? Uh, Veronica Mars is very uh, self-knowing. It has some of the crime pulpy stuff in it, but it's like, I don't know if tongue in cheek is the right word, but it's like, uh, it's smarter than okay. other shows. I see. And uh, she plays a teenager who's, who's kind of very snarky and self-aware. Um, but that is a good show. I like that show. And that's how Forgetting Sarah Marshall ends. 2008 comedy. My theory has always been that uh, 
Judd Apatow and Jason Siegel had a little bit of a falling out because yeah. Judd Apatow executive produces this, but Jason Siegel kind of disappeared from the the regular cast of the Apatow people. You know, the like the Jonah Hill. There was no Seth Rogen in this, but I feel like he's in that group. Bill Hader, to some extent, is in that group. And Jason Siegel was for a while. He was in definitely in Knocked Up. I can't remember if he was in 40-Year-Old Virgin either. So he was kind of in that group, but I don't think I saw him for a while afterwards. And uh, I haven't really caught up too much with what he's done since. He's, he starred in a drama where he played David Foster Wallace, the writer. I think he might have done one or two things since. He did one Mumblecore movie that I was going to catch up with. I pretty much know him from The Muppets 2011. That's he right. was on that TV show, was it How I Met Your Mother? Yeah, so yeah. he starred in that. I have not seen much of that at all. Uh, he's very funny in that. And yeah, The Muppets. So I, I don't know if we said this yet, but he co-wrote, I think, and starred in the new Muppets movie. This kind of got new, him the new, job. New as of 11 years ago. Well, yeah. I guess it's been rebooted many times. The right. Muppets, but... That one was just called The Muppet Movie? or the It Muppets? was just The Muppets. Okay. Yeah. But he wasn't in the next one, which was like The Muppets Most Wanted or something? Yeah, I don't think he was. Okay. I haven't actually seen that one, but I think the like his Muppet brother character carries over. Gotcha. Um, one thing I like about Forgetting Sarah Marshall is that in some ways it's kind of the opposite of the typical Judd Apatow-esque movie arc, the kind of man-child arc where... Think about Knocked Up, think about 40-Year-Old Virgin. They're kind of losers who eventually the way that they succeed is by like giving up their childish pursuits and kind of embracing the traditional male role and kind of the traditional unit. And Knocked Up, he becomes a dad and sort of settles down. And 40-Year-Old Virgin, you know, he gets together, he sells his toys and gets together with Catherine Keener. I think that's who the co-star is. And here it's the opposite. So he has the steady job and he decides to embrace his silly Dracula musical. And instead of the steady girlfriend, he dates the hotel concierge from Hawaii. And that's kind of the the happily ever after for him. So it's kind of like the, the inversion in some ways, although it still has a lot of the same themes, I would say. Mm-hmm. So we watched the blooper reel after we watched the movie. And they picked the best one to go out on. And I think it really just encapsulates the uh, the nature of the film and the appeal of the film because uh, Jason Segel is eating that whole box worth of Fruit Loops and he like chokes on the Fruit Loops and <laughs> coughs into them. And then he's just cracking up laughing and choking on these Fruit Loops because <laughs> that's who he is, I guess. Yeah. It's like he's he's put together this whole project so he can eat too many Fruit Loops On and and choke <laughs> laugh. Yeah, definitely a passion project for Jason Siegel, and that really carries through. I also feel like there's a lot of stuff that might have been dropped on the cutting room floor, like even from the bloopers and from the table read that we watched a clip of that's included on the DVD. Um, and there's apparently more deleted scenes. I feel like there was like alternate or rewritten scenes and. I read one time that a lot of the banter throughout the movie was improvised. Like, I think a lot of Paul Rudd's lines were improvised or like written as they were filming and they kind of workshopped it as they were filming that type of thing. Could definitely see that for a couple of them. But 
Just a very friendly and inviting tone, I would say. So I guess we started talking some good things and not so good things. Brian, what are some good things about Forgetting Sarah Marshall? Well, it's a comedy and it was funny. I was laughing. Yeah. So I think it it does have some good comic beats. For sure. And the cast is just stacked. I kept seeing face after face. It's like, wait a minute, I know that person. <laughs> like Jason Bateman even shows up in the new show that Sarah Marshall's in at the end. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jack McBrayer, Mila Kunis. What was it we said about The Outsiders? It's got names. Right. Is that what we said? Yeah. I agree. I, I also like that the relationship stuff is taken fairly seriously. It's not too broad. Mm -hmm. And um, other than a couple of beats there towards the end, it kind of feels authentic and earned for, for most of its run and like really sympathetic to its characters and pretty generous to its characters and kind of giving them some humanity and stuff. And I think that actually makes the movie a lot better because you're not there just for the laughs, but the story, it's a little bit easier to get invested in it, I think. Um, I think that's one of the reasons that I found this one so rewatchable over the years. And just lots of funny one-offs. It's It kind of reminds me a little bit of That Thing You Do, which I know I bring up every other episode, if not every episode at this point. <laughs> but that was like Tom Hanks had a whole bunch of ideas and he got all of them out in that movie. Just like all these little things that he wanted to do, all these polished little touches and, and one-offs and stuff that just bring a lot of flavor and color to it. And I think this has it too. You got like the fake rock band Infant Sorrow that Aldous Snow is in charge of, and he's got this double entendre song inside of you. Um, and we see a music video of one of the songs at the beginning, and he has a sign that says, I think, what is it? Sodomize intolerance. Yeah. <laughs> no. And um, it was like, there were, there were multiple times where different characters kept making me laugh. Like, no one person would get the punchline. It was like in the interactions between Russell Brand and Jonah Hill, it was like each one would do something that would set the other one off and it would it would keep making me laugh. It was like and it never quite would end when I yeah. would expect it to. It would keep going. It builds, right? I also just like how autobiographical it is for Jason Siegel. That just adds a personal touch to it. Like Jason Siegel brought his love of puppets and his love of music and these own anecdotes from his life and kind of weaved it together into this story that that he really gets to inhabit in in the film. And I think it it, it has it it does have a certain uh personality to it that it really feels like a a Jason Siegel auteur project of sorts despite being kind of a a raunchy comedy in the Judd Apatow vein. Another thing reason I put it among best summer movies, just love hanging out in Hawaii. I wanted to be swimming in these waves and sitting at a tiki bar, drinking a fruity drink. And uh, man, I love the tropical setting. So Brian, uh, not so good things. We've mentioned a few. Any others that are kind of on the on your brain at this point? I don't know. Not much. There's a few iffy beats. I mean, it's a, it's a crass comedy. But it's not like uh, that other one we watched, um, Step Brothers. Oh, yeah, Step Brothers. Yeah, it's not like that. It's not really mean-spirited. No, it's just a, a raunchy yeah, raunchy comedy. You know, par for the course, Judd Apatow, but uh, with a little more heart than, than some. And I would say it also is a little bit more uncomfortable scenarios in here, social awkwardness and discomfort than I think of in the typical 
Judd Apatow comedy. Like when Jack McBrayer is humiliating himself and smacking himself in the face <laughs> and like Peter is going in for a kiss with Rachel and she kind of pulls away just yeah. a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable from time to time. I take it Jason Siegel likes a little bit of like that, that office-esque awkwardness in his comedies. Any other thoughts on the movie, Brian, before we get to our signature section? Now I think I'm uh, ready. All right. So... Is It Good is our signature section where we each give the movie a rating on our eight-point goodness scale ranging from very not good, a one out of eight, to our masterpiece rating, Tour Day Good, which is an eight out of eight. So I recently reconnected with a high school friend named Amelie, and she joined our Discord. By the way, everybody, come join our Discord. If you're listening, come join us. Chat with us. I, I don't really know how to join a Discord, but I'm happy that you're there if you do join <laughs> There's a handful of us that that uh, keep up together there. And uh, Amelie joined, and I was soliciting feedback from listeners over the past week. And Amelie said she's only been listening for a couple of weeks now, but that she gets the ratings confused. So I'm going to, we haven't done it in a while. I'm going to read through all eight ratings. And, you know, I feel like it's good to just check in because you never know when someone's diving in on our podcast for the first time and might not know our rating scale. So our one out of eight, our lowest rating is a very not good our two is a not good. Our three is a not not good. Our four out of eight is good-ish. So anything on one through four, I would put in the overall not quite good category. Gets a thumbs down in the Roger Ebert sense. Then five through eight, I would say, are the thumbs up ratings. So five is good. Six is very good. Seven is exceptionally good. And eight is our masterpiece rating. Tour day good so Brian, is Forgetting Sarah Marshall from 2008 good? So this one grew on me as it went along. It's actually a little longer than I was thinking it was going to be it, in in a good way, I would say. It uh, had some twists and turns I wasn't expecting. And it just built the funny elements. But it made you care about the characters too. So for me, this is a number six out of eight. And if you were... Paying attention just now, you would know that that is a very good movie. So thank you for sharing a very good movie on your birthday, Dan. Yeah, thank you for joining me on that. But where does it fall for you? So I'm not going to pretend to be biased and give this anything other than our masterpiece rating, A Tour de Good. This is just one of my all-time favorite movies. Maybe a guilty pleasure. I don't know what you want to call it. I just think everything about it works, more or less. There's There's a couple of hiccups, but... It's like a comfort movie for me. It's a movie I want to hop into and be at the bar drinking with them and lots of very attractive people in it. And it's a movie that is right up there with Dazed and Confused. That's like the best possible movie to drink a lot while you watch. It just becomes more and more amusing. Just just an absolute blast of a movie for me. And I know it's maybe not high art. And I know there's some Jason Siegel self-insertion in there. But, you know, this movie has always worked for me. And even if I probably wouldn't put it in my top 10 all-time movies anymore, I still would probably put it in my top 100. And it's just a movie I, I really have always adored. So it's a soft spot for me, one that that I just I have to give that that top marks to. So Tour de Good, Masterpiece Rating, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, 2008. All good right. that you got to find a slot for it here on the show. Absolutely. And I'm glad me and Brian each have a couple of movies that... We bug each other. Hey, 
you still haven't seen blank, right? You know, you should really see blank. And this has always been one of mine for Brian. <laughs> you haven't seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall yet, have you? No. Well, you should go see that one. Well, now I've finally made you see it, Brian. So, so Brian, thank you very much for sitting down with me. And uh, this was a, a really nice way to spend my birthday weekend. And what are we going to be watching next week? Well, I'm glad as always to join you here, Dan, particularly in person. That was fun. And, man, I got a couple different battling contenders in my head but since you just queued it up i think i am going to assign walk hard a dewey cox story starring john c Riley. oh man uh which is maybe the quintessential feature film that i've often said you really ought to watch this one dude yeah. yeah no i'm excited i've been putting off watching this one when we were moving and i was packing stuff up i found a copy of the dvd of walk hard and i'm like least 80% sure that you're the one who gave that to me, Brian. So I have a copy of it and now I'm, I will finally be watching it. I was contemplating continuing the trend of summer movies. I had some had some summer movies that I was thinking of, but I, I think this will be a good pick. Okay, cool. So, Got some of the same faces we just saw in this one in the, in this ensemble cast. So, And I will say this will not be a surprise, John C. Riley. in this case. No, he's there on the poster. <laughs> Go listen to our Chicago episode if you want to hear about the surprise John C. Riley trend we have going. Competition, I don't know what you want to call it. But anyways, uh, all right, walk hard. That'll be a fun one next week. And thank you, listeners, as always. And thank you, Brian. Yeah, thanks for checking in, guys. If you've joined the Discord, major kudos to you. And give us your feedback. Absolutely. you'll guide what we give you. And you can join that Discord or find us on any podcast service if you go to thegoodsfilmpodcast.com. And so we'd love to hear you there. Have a good week, everyone. Bye.